I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Scott Eklund. Chris Fetters, Washington, takes on BYU in Provo. 1.30 kickoff, Mountain Time, 12.30 back home in Seattle. The weather on Friday was a little bit sketchy with a little bit of rain, but it looks like we're going to miss that for the game on Saturday. Expecting a raucous crowd with kind of some throwback helmets. Um, the grass is probably going to be a little bit longer and um, should be an interesting game in fine weather in Provo. Chris, I, I keep on saying this is really the first challenge Washington has had because the Cal game was such an anomaly with everything weird that was happening. I'm not sure how much you can take from that. It's going to be really interesting, Kim. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to find out because you know a lot of people are saying that they're feeling BYU right now because Washington hasn't shown anything that would – give them the sense that they're ready for this road trip. And I'm kind of thinking what, I mean, this, this is the first time they're on the road. So how would you know? I mean, literally, um, they're, this is the first time they're road dogs. This is the first time they're going to get tested in a brand new environment, hostile environment. It's going to be a whiteout crowd. Um, you know, BYU's doing their little thing to college football in the 150 years with their throwback helmets, throwback jerseys. So, yeah, this is going to be a phenomenal uh atmosphere and environment for these guys to uh show what they're all about and um one one more new thing first time with the adidas road turn road uh uniforms right i mean there's a lot of firsts for this year obviously when you go on the road for the first time and you're experiencing everything that's kind of brand new so how these guys respond is obviously going to show uh and tell a lot about how these guys are going to be going forward what kind of a vibe did you get from the guys that you talked to this week scott I, I just got a sense of quiet confidence from them. Jacob Eason, uh, Jackson Kirkland, Keith Boniface, Scott Huff, Junior Adams. I think these coaches all feel like they're making progress and doing what they want to do. I only go and do the offensive guys. Chris, Chris obviously does the defensive guys. So, um, you know, I just but from an offensive standpoint, I think they feel pretty confident they can go in and play pretty well this week. Now, one thing that this coaching staff is really good at getting these guys is to always look forward and not look back. There may be a little bit of that Cal hangover. It may make them a little bit more hungry. But, um, you know, next to Cal, you know, is, is BYU is physically gifted team as Cal, Chris. Well, you're dealing with a bunch of, of grown men. I mean, guys that have gone on mission and come back. And, you know, a lot of the, the, the majority of that BYU team is probably going to be 23, 24, 25-year-olds. So, Sure. I mean, they, there's no reason why they shouldn't be physical. They're playing against guys that um, in any other situation might be playing pro, you know. So, um, you know, I, I just think it's going to be a great situation for them. They are going to be playing a BYU team that's kind of battle-tested already in only three games. They played their in-state rival, Utah. Then they went to Tennessee, which nowadays doesn't mean much. But, you know, historically that would have been an incredibly – impressive win for them to win in overtime and then went back home to Provo Lavelle Edwards Stadium and beat USC in overtime so they've they've played some great games already right. Washington's kind of the opposite of that really I mean California is obviously a good test for them but uh, Hawaii and Eastern Washington certainly aren't the caliber of Utah Tennessee and USC you say battle tested but one thing that comes along with battle tested they're also beat up. They're missing some key members on the defensive side of the ball. Well, sure. And if and if anybody saw my prediction, I was really I was really ready to to pick uh, BYU. Uh, not so much in an upset, but I think it's just in a really close fought game. And 
maybe in the fourth quarter they find a way to win, just like they've found a way to win the last couple weeks. But um, with their with their situation defensively, especially at linebacker, uh, they're really hurting. They are really, really hurting. And that should give Washington an opportunity to hold on to the ball a little bit, move the chains, give Jacob Eason and that offense some confidence. Um, they don't necessarily have to go long fields and all that kind of stuff. But I think if they hold on to the ball and they and they uh, keep Zach Wilson and that uh, the potentially really potent BYU offense off the field, I think that's a, a great way to kind of keep them in the game and even try to push forward and get to maybe a couple scores and then put it on the home team to really come back and uh, make a move. Hey, Scott, uh, can, can I ask a quick question? Um, do you guys see Washington slowing down a little bit? Because they, they've been going a lot more hurry up recently and i haven't seen them eating as much clock as maybe people have been used to seeing them eat and that maybe because jacob eason gets more in a rhythm with the uh, with the quick passing game and the and running up to the line quick all that kind of stuff do you see them maybe slowing things down a little bit this week chris i you know to be honest scott i think it's a good point and there's no doubt that they've really tried to go hurry up in some situations i think maybe they'll just be a little bit more judicious and how they do it. I think they still will use hurry up in some situations, but maybe just to try to catch BYU off guard for a play or two, and then maybe they'll ratchet it down and they'll, you know, maybe they'll just try to to shift in and out of it a little bit more than they would normally. And what okay. I see, Chris, and what I see, Chris, is Washington is able to rotate a lot of defensive linemen in, like unlike a lot of other teams in Utah. I don't see them having the depth along the defensive line. They've got a couple of stout guys in the middle, which make make running between the tackles a little bit more difficult. But if they do up the tempo, I think what they're really trying to do is wear down that defense a little bit and make those guys that are 320 pounds dig deep into their lungs, you know, to uh, continue to play. And that's tough. Well, yeah, they one, have that. I was oh, going to go say ahead, real quick, Scott. One one thing that maybe Washington fans aren't going to want to hear too much, especially those that are have been really advocating for more receiver time with their early receivers. The one thing that Washington can do with their veteran receiver group, especially that trio of Chico McClatcher, Aaron Fuller, and Andre Bocelli, is that they can stay out there for a while. And when you stay out there for a while, you're not allowing BYU to substitute. And if you're not allowing BYU to substitute, and you start rolling a little bit of tempo at them, that's when you can kind of gash them a little bit. So that's that's where I think maybe they can be a little bit more here and there in terms of trying to use tempo. But I agree with Scott a little bit in the sense that I don't think they're just going to try to put on the gas every single time to try to, to, to maybe outdo BYU in that sense because, you know, at some point you got to give your defense a little bit of a break too. Right. Uh, and Scott, one of the things that we saw quite a bit last year, we haven't seen as much in the first three games, we may start to see a little bit more of it, was Scott Huff was rolling in some extra linemen, getting him a little bit more playing time. And the main guy that they were rolling in is back with the team after a three-game suspension. Henry Bainavalu back with the team. I don't know um, with the suspension if he was allowed to practice, if he was with the team, but this might be one of those games, especially a little bit of altitude. We may see a little bit more of rotation on that offensive line. Yeah, last week he, he and I talked about it on 
Wednesday, and he, I said, you didn't really sub in anybody until the, the starters were pulled. And he said, yeah, he goes, we were just feeling really good about the continuity we had up front and, and uh, just didn't feel like we needed to sub anybody in and wanted to keep the groups together if we can and things like that. I asked him about Henry Bainavalu coming back, and he said um, that he had been practicing and, and uh, that he thought that he would, would be able to come in and play and, and play well. So – you know, that could be coach speak. I don't know. But I think the coaches really like what they have in Henry Bainavalu. And I think they really like the progress of Mateo Mele and how he's doing. And they feel like Henry Roberts can come in and play pretty much any position along the offensive line. So the depth that Washington has should allow them, especially at that altitude, to, to spell guys along the offensive line if they really feel like they need to. One more guy that they can throw out there, too. Um, guy who's been playing tackle, which I actually thought he was going to be a guard, is Victor Kern. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was a little surprised to see him out at tackle, although he could play either one. He did play tackle in high school. He's just on a, a bit on the shorter side. He's about 6'3", maybe 6'4", but more like 6'3". And, and, but he just grinds on guys, and, and I think that's someone who you could see a little bit more of. I do know that they also would like to get a look at uh, MJ Ale a little bit more um, against maybe some bigger guys that they can drive block and down block against because that's what he really excels at. They also want to get him uh, working on his pass blocking as well. That's something they've been working on quite a bit with him. And then you got to throw in if, if he's healthy, and I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but Troy Fautanu is a guy – that I think they'd like to get in there if they can, at least get him a few reps and still preserve his red shirt, but make sure that he gets some reps because I think he's a guy that they think could come in and push for a starting uh, spot or at least a lot of playing time next year as a, as a red shirt freshman. Hey Scott, guys, who are guys, real, real quick, guys. I was just, Kim, you mentioned in terms of bringing in extra linemen and whatnot. Typically, that's been for shorter yardage and red zone type stuff. I don't know if you guys heard Chris Peterson on Thursday. But I asked him specifically about maybe looking at the tape of USC's game against BYU and how BYU was rolling in some of their big defensive linemen in some of their short yardage and uh, you know goal line type situations. And I was kind of curious if they were intrigued by that. And Peterson said he he's always intrigued by those types of things. And apparently Tuli Latui Gasanoa and Sam Taimani have been not only advocating for trying to get in on those types of situations, but they want the ball too. And so when you're talking about going into Utah, the state of Utah and Sam Taimani's from Utah, could is it possible that maybe they're thinking about not, not giving him the ball pretty much? I mean, that would be pretty, you know, no pun intended. That'd be pretty ballsy. But I would say the idea of bringing in some of those bigger, you know, kind of bowling ball style defensive guys to open up some things in the red zone, open up some things in the goal line, because right now they've got to be looking higher, high and low for options uh, to score touchdowns instead of field goals. Well, you mentioned Sam and uh, Thule, but uh, if they're going to put somebody over there from the defensive line over there, the guy with the most experience, Sama Paama. Well, Sama played a lot. Right. He- he did, and he, and he and he also and he also did. Um, if I remember correctly, he did suit up against um, Hawaii. So he, he actually played. He actually yeah. played. So yeah. you know that's a yeah. Of course, I mean you you could roll him in, and um, the I don't know if it's too early for a guy like that, but I'm wondering if they're starting to look for those kind of options. 
It'll be interesting, but getting back to the offensive line, I think that's going to be the key for the running game, which is I think Washington's going to want to start off, you know, running the ball. But, you know, Scott, when you play on natural grass, when you haven't played on it in a while, and then they leave it a little bit extra long, and there's a good chance it could be damp as well. How much of a difference does that make? Well, you know, I, I saw that Chris Peterson really downplayed it and said it's not about the conditions, it's about us. And that's what he's going to say because you can't make excuses. You're going to you're playing in whatever you're going to play in. But, you know, I Washington never plays well on grass. I'm, I'm sorry, they just don't. It doesn't mean they can't win the game. It just means they don't play well on grass. And until they prove to me that they can play well on grass, I'm going to that's going to be a knock against them. And I I. I, I'm real hesitant. I, you know, Sean McGrew uh, and Savon Ahmed hardly ever played on grass, if ever, when they were in high school. And I think Richard Newton's home field was was grass, so um, he might be a little bit better off. But man, I, I just don't see a situation where playing on grass is helpful to them. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to cause them to lose the game, but like you said, Kim, the ball could be a little bit slippery. The footing could be bad. Whatever it is, they've got to really take care of the ball and they got to make sure that they're on balance when they're going to make those cuts and do those things. Hey, and real, Chris, quick, talk- real quick, Kim, I was thinking, when's the last time they won on grass? Would that be at UCLA last year? Yeah, that was the last time. But before that, oh, it'd been a while. Well, I think they won at Colorado the year before. Uh, but you're right. I mean, historically. Oh, well, I guess you could also look at the, I'm sorry, Chris. You could also look at the uh, Pac-12 championship games too. But Sure, but, you know, at Arizona State, at Stanford. Um, yeah, the Pac-12 championship is probably the, the last one for sure. But overall, you're right. Whether it's at Arizona, Arizona State, um, you know, it, it's just, it, has, it has not necessarily been kind. And, Chris, I talked about this at the beginning of the year when the quarterback situation was unsettled or Chris Peterson was saying so. But when you have a quarterback like Jacob Eason, you know, I equated him. Jacob Eason puts the fear into you like when Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire or Ken Griffey Jr. comes up as opposed to a guy like a Wade Boggs or a Paul Molitor, the singles hitter. But, you know, is this a game where we may see that fear that Jacob Eason puts into a defensive coordinator where they are just planning not to let Jacob Eason beat them where the running game could get going because of the fear factor? It's a good question, Kim, and I frankly just I don't know. I mean, from what I know of the way BYU played defense last year and the way that they played defense the last couple games, I'm not seeing a ton of difference between how you know, I haven't seen a ton of wrinkles or a ton of changes, whereas the difference offensively for BYU is quite different when you're talking about Tanner Mangum versus Zach Wilson, for instance. So I'm not seeing a lot of personnel changes in BYU's defense that's dictating that they're doing a lot of things and making a lot of changes from what we saw in 2018. So I, I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, I... I think, yeah, you, you could certainly maybe go in thinking that, you know, obviously you want to, you want your safeties as deepest as the deepest guy, and, and you certainly want to try to keep everything in front of you. But at the same time, I think they've also seen that if you pressure him a little bit and you try to kind of get to him a little bit, that could create some problems too uh, for Washington. So it works both ways. Um, there's no question that the kind of throws that he can make 
compared to a guy like Jake Browning. There's, there's, you know, it's night and day. So, you know, they may be able to, Washington may be able to throw some deeper things or maybe try to get away with some things that they just couldn't get away with last year. And Scott, with BYU having the injuries at linebacker and the lack of depth there, that just seems like it's going to open up everything underneath for Hunter Bryant. Yeah, I think Hunter Bryant could have a re- another really big game. And basically, I've been saying it since he signed with the University of Washington. The second you get him on the field, he's a mismatch for pretty much anybody who you want to put on him, whether it's a linebacker he's too fast for or a defensive back who he's too strong for. You know, I I think that he is the player who should see the most targets in every game until proven otherwise. I Just with the, the struggles Washington's had at wide receiver – Get Hunter Bryant the ball as many times as possible. He should have 10, 11 targets every game, in my opinion. Jacob Eason's going to throw the ball probably 30 to 35 times, if that. Might be even a little less than that. I think Hunter Bryant should have at least a third of the targets, if not more. And I think that he needs to be the playmaker that we all believe and know he can be. On top of that, Kim, on top of that real quick, you talk about you know 15 targets, Scott. When you add Kate Otten into that mix, you know you should be talking about you know I don't know 17, 18 targets for the tight ends alone uh, from from uh, Jacob Eason. I think that's a fair number. And again, like you said, with the the situation with BYU's depth and it being tested, can they trick their eyes a little bit with some motions, with some resets, with some some play action, with some things? that are typically designed to try to get those guys off their spots and get them running around a little bit. I think it's something that they can really maybe try to exploit. And there, if BYU tries to take away Hunter Bryant, then they really need a wide receiver to step up. They really need somebody on that side of the ball to step up. And, you know, who better to step up right now than the guy who caught his first pass, the guy who's from Utah and Puka Nakua? I absolutely agree. I think I'd like to, I'd like to see more of him. I hope he's done enough in practice to make, you know, to warrant him getting more more chances at this. I know that Junior Adams has said that he'd like to see him get more 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 uh, opportunities and get more plays and things like that, but. We haven't seen it come to fruition, so I just don't know what we're going to need to see. But obviously, it's not the, he hasn't done enough in practice yet at this point to warrant uh, seeing the field more. Hopefully, that has changed over the last couple weeks. Well, Scott, maybe it's it's not just doing enough in practice, and I've stressed this all the time. Chris, ever since Chris Peterson has been here, both on offense and defense, he has different personnel for different packages. Where a guy like Puka Nakua may be in on 30 to 40% of the packages, and they specifically have him in for specific plays. So it may have something to do with the game plan where we see where the packages that they want to install against BYU fit the packages he's in. And I can't stress that. And I keep on going back to Max Richmond started a game. Was Max Richmond the best receiver? No. He was just part of the package for the offensive game plan. Well, they just they want to make sure that they're putting enough on his plate to keep him going and keep him, you know, motivated and and uh, you know really focused on what's going on. But they don't want to take you know they don't want to put too much on his plate. I mean they they want to ramp up his learning curve in a way where he is he's getting it. He's not having to relearn things. He's not 
you know, you know, he's not feeling like he's underwater in terms of trying to figure out all the terminology where he needs to be every play. So yeah, they may still be a little too slow for the fans' tastes, but in terms of their, you know, the development of the player, each player develops on their own kind of time frame, and so it's 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 never an easy call to try to understand how, you know, what's Puka Nakua going to do compared to a Taj Davis or you know, what was a Austin Osborne going to do compared to a Marcus Spiker? You just don't know what each learning curve is going to be. One one thing I would add, Kim, to the idea of one of those guys stepping up if BYU tries to take uh, uh, out Hunter Bryant, you know, since Hunter's kind of patrolling the middle of that field, if they start to add more guys into the middle to try to make it really compact – I think one thing that Washington can do to really combat that is to roll some of their receivers out or some of their running backs out into the flats, run some swing routes, run some things where they can get some one-on-ones in space out on the edges and let the running backs go to work. I think they could really, you know, maybe chew up some yards that way too. Savon Ahmed out in space. Exactly. If he catches the ball, he's he's special. And, uh, you know, one of the things that he did in high school, he was a really good receiver out of the backfield. We've seen some lack of concentration. I don't think it's because he can't catch the ball. I think it's because he's been hoping to make a move and, and get down the field and things like that. I think if he just sits there and concentrates, gets the ball in his hands, like you said, Kim and, and Chris, he could be a real threat in that open field. Well, we've already it's- seen, too, with Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant, we know they can catch the ball as well. So you've got options. You've got players that are available that can get that job done. And whether, like I said, whether that means going out in the flat, whether that means running Hunter Bryant and Kate Otten down the field, and then running maybe a little Texas route into that into that zone that's been vacated. I, I think there's. I think Washington can do some things with their short passing game that can turn into big gainers if they catch some of those linebackers doing some things that they're not supposed to be doing. And Scott, um, I know you, I know you love it when I ask you questions that you're not prepared for, but um, Puka Nakua, obviously from Utah, Ty Jones from Utah. I'd be surprised if he made uh, the trip. Who else is, uh, who else is local? Uh, Sam Taimani. We mentioned him a little bit ago. Uh, MJ Tafisi is also from there. And, I'm trying. I'm going through my head right now. Uh, Jordan Lolohea is from there, but he isn't on the roster yet. He won't be on the roster until January. To my knowledge, I, just going through it off the top of my head, I think that's it. Just those uh, four. Hey, Chris, going over to the defensive side of the ball, you know, it was um, a little difficult to tell a lot with Hawaii because of the defense they were playing. They played so much nickel and dime in that pass-oriented. Um, defense, but um, what do you expect to see? I don't expect to see the dime package out there. Not necessarily right off the bat. I mean, I think Jimmy Lake will certainly try to find his spots to mix it in, whether it's situationally because of you know down and distance, what have you. Um, it's certainly possible. You know, they, there could be another way to um, to do it in a in a way where. Um, you know, to try to to try to maybe get some guys like Keith Taylor and Miles Bryant a lot closer to the line of scrimmage, so then maybe they can spy or harass Zach Wilson. I mean, I think that's another thing that they could possibly do instead of bringing in extra big guys by the line of scrimmage. Maybe get some of those quicker guys involved. You know, maybe this is a game where Ariel Nada 
plays a lot more to try to create some havoc as a quicker guy that can get around the edge. So, But you're right. I, I don't think starting right away, uh, the offense that BYU runs, with the, they, they do still have kind of that fly-sweep motion type stuff. But with Zach Wilson, he's going to keep the ball a little bit more. They're going to play a little bit more straight up. And uh, it's not going to be quite as much of trying to figure out where the ball is like it was last year. Uh, last week, of course, we saw that Trent McDuffie was that extra defensive back that started, and people were wondering why Trent McDuffie over a Dominique Hampton. And, you know, what I came up with, and my thought on that was because Hampton is a bigger, more physical guy, and McDuffie was more of a quick t- twitch and a little bit smaller guy who could can't, you know, keep up with those smaller wide receivers. But in a game like this with BYU, is this a game where we could see a little bit more of Dominic Hampton? Oh, I, I would fully think that that's the case, Kim. Uh, Tom Shumway is 6'3", Keanu Hill is 6'4", Braden Cooper is 6'3", Micah uh, Simon is 6'1". I mean, you have another guy who's 6'3", Gunnar Romney, who's 6'3". So you've got a lot of pretty big receivers, and it wouldn't surprise me if they throw him out there at different times, maybe even over Kyler Gordon, who is a bit on the smallish side. So I still think that Kyler will get the start, but I think we'll see Dominic Campton quite a bit this week. Well, and, also Joe, and also Joe Bushman is probably one of their, was going to be one of Zach Wilson's favorite targets. And he's, you know, tight end. He's legitimately 6'3", 6'4". He's a guy that did a little bit of damage uh, against Washington last year in Seattle. So I would fully expect, uh, you know, maybe one of those bigger guys to, to try to target him. Maybe uh, bring in a, a, a – this would might be a good situation for Asa Turner, for instance. Uh, BYU, without a doubt, is going to try to run the ball with their um, big running back. He's uh, 5'11", 6'2", 220 pounds, Tyson Williams. And when we take a look at the safeties, Cam Williams, the freshman, and Miles um, Bryant, is this – a game where we might see a little bit more Brandon McKinney at safety to a little bit bigger body to uh, help with the run? Well, we saw it a little bit last week, but I don't know if that had to do more with the situation of them just having to play more defensive backs in general. Maybe he, maybe Jimmy Lake and Will Harris and those guys saw enough in McKinney to realize, okay, we need to get him more involved in the game planning. Maybe we need to get him more in situationally, for instance, like you're talking about. It's possible. It's definitely possible because there's no doubt you're you're dealing with a bigger team in terms of their receivers, in terms of their pass catchers in, in for BYU than they have for, for any other team, basically, that they've already seen this year. And one of the guys that I think could be a key for uh, this BYU game as well, um, maybe the hardest hitter on the defense, and that's MJ Tafisi. Yeah, yeah he, he might be the, the hardest hitter on the team. He's still kind of making some angle mistakes and, and things like that. But, yeah, I think the coaches really like his physicality at the point of attack. And I think they think that he can be a really good player. You know, we've we've talked a little bit about him. And, and I think against the run, you just never know. Um, you know, Kyler Manu and Brandon Wellington should be just fine holding up against the run. As far as a size standpoint is concerned, the problem with them is they're just not playing at, you know, I I don't know if they've maxed out their potential or what, but they're not really being able to make the plays 
that say Ben Burkirvan was, who was a lot smaller than they than they are. Um, and and Tevis Bartlett when he was playing on the edge and things like that, you're just not seeing them be able to be a st- uh, you know a stout up front or up the middle like we were used to. And maybe that allows Jackson Sermon or MJ Tafisi to see more playing time this week because they're really going to have to be stout in the middle. And don't just don't discount the idea that you know like we saw last week with uh, Fatui Tuatele and Sama Pa'ama playing against Hawaii, being Hawaii kids, that not that Washington needs to put these guys in, the Utah kids, but I think they understand how important it is for these guys in terms of going home, playing in front of their friends and family. You So, that I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why a guy like Tafisi or a Puka Nakua could see more playing time. I think that's that's maybe a reason why they would get on the field. Now, how they respond to that and how they do maybe their first few snaps might dictate a little bit about their usage going forward. But I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, again, that's why I kind of brought up, brought up Taki Taimani as a defensive lineman coming in in one of those jumbo packages by the, by the goal line. I, I just think that if they can find ways to get some of these guys involved in their home situation, not only does that maybe help them in the game by finding some other playmakers and doing some other things, but that's great for recruiting too, and they're these guys have to constantly think about that as they're going forward. Chris brought up recruiting, Scott, down here in Utah, fertile territory for recruiting. I'm sure the coaches are going to be out. We're still trying to uh, figure out where they have been. But uh, any prospects for the 2020 class left in Utah that Washington's seriously looking at? Um. You know, once again, not off the top of my head uh, that Washington's really after quite a bit. But, you know, at, at this point, you know, the, things could – what I will say is there are some guys that they're recruiting that are commits to other schools that you could see them pick things up with as time moves along. But at this point, I think they're kind of set with the guys that, they're, that they've really been focusing on, guys like Savelle Smalls, Jordan Banks. Um, Jake Overman, Jacob Garcia, who just reserved a, uh, uh, received a preferred walk-on offer, the long snapper. So a lot of these guys are ones that they that they've kind of turned their focus on, and I think they've kind of moved on to 2021 guys in a lot of these states. Best guess when you take a look at the 2020 class, 2021 class, and you take all of the resources Washington has. Again, best guess. What percentage of the resources are they using on the 2020 class as opposed to 2021? Well, I, w- I would say it, it's definitely over 50% on the 2021 class because they're already evaluating guys. That's one of the reasons why Peterson and his staff like to get their class, if not all the way wrapped up, then definitely very close to being wrapped up um, by the start of the season so that they can really focus on the underclassmen guys that they need to go and look at and watch film on. And when they're out on the road, instead of watching film on a guy who's a senior that they're still trying to evaluate. Now they can do film study on juniors and sophomores and guys who are even freshmen that are, that are some of those standouts, you know? And, and I think that that is something that could be pretty special once, you know, that we should allow Washington to be able to, ramp up their their recruiting even more the 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 recruiting process is ramped up so much more you know everybody talks about how great it is we have a uh signing day in december well all that did was push back the start of the recruiting process 
or I guess move up the start of the recruiting process even even more. So there's really no difference in having a mid-year signing period and a regular signing day um, anymore. You just moved up the clock a couple a couple of months. Yeah, that's all it did. That's all it did. It didn't it didn't impact really anything. Underclassmen are getting recruited sooner. Much sooner. And uh, just real quick, Scott, there hasn't been a ton going on in recruiting. One of the things that kind of jumped out at me, there was a report on the USC site that um, L.D. Bunkley said that Washington is still one of the schools talking to him the most. Any other nuggets on recruiting right now? I don't have a ton for people. You know, some of them, there's a few younger guys who I know are trying to make unofficial visits to the University of Washington. I also know Cooper McDonald let me know that he's planning to be up here at some point. Someone said that it was going to be the Oregon game. I haven't seen that yet. He hasn't told me that, but he had said that he had uh, planned to come up for that. Um, I know that JV on Sunday, the running back commit out of Texas, is planning to be up here for... Geez, I think he said it was the Utah game, but it might. I think it was the Utah game that he's playing. I think to be that's up what for. he said. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, th- there's just a lot of guys who are going to be trying to make a f- uh, unofficial visits. Mark R- Redmond told me that he'd like to get up um, for the for the uh, USC game, but we'll see if that happens. I think this weekend, you know, this coming weekend against USC is going to be a big uh, visit weekend. We've got Jordan Banks and Jake Overman in. Uh, on official visits, and we could see several other guys coming in on unofficial visits, whether that's 2020, 2021, 2022 guys. So you can see a lot of different reports coming out here over the next seven to 10 days. Hey, Kim, just also real quick, um, just to let people know, too, that there's no doubt that Washington's, I I would expect them to have been out uh, on Friday night and gone after uh, some of these guys, not just for 2020, but for 2021 as well. As as Scott mentioned, you know Xavier Carlton is another guy that they're really looking hard at along the defensive line for the 2020 class. He's a Utah kid. And then, like he also said, going forward, 2021, they've already offered the top two kids that have been ranked by 24-7 sports for the 2021 class in the Beehive State. Kingsley Suamataya from Orem, a big, big-time offensive tackle. Pretty much could go anywhere in the country right now. He's looking hard at Washington. And then another kid that they've offered is another is a defensive tackle from uh, Sam Taimani's high school, East High School in Salt Lake City, Voy Tunuufi. And so those are the top two guys. I would be shocked if they didn't try to reach out and at least get a chance to watch those guys Friday night before the game. Going into the big game against BYU, again, 12.30 kickoff, Seattle time, 1.30 Mountain West. Scott, final thoughts going into the game? I think this is a great chance for Washington to make a statement and say that, hey, while, while the rumors of our demise might have been out there, they are not true, and we are here and ready to play some ball. Um, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm the only one, I believe, on our predictions that predicted a BYU win. So um, I hope I'm absolutely wrong. I think it'll be a lot of fun if they end up winning this game. And I think it'll project well toward as they start to really head into the meat of their season with USC, with Stanford, Oregon, Utah, Arizona, and all those schools right in a row. And I think Washington really has a chance to make a statement this weekend. Final thoughts, Chris Fetters? Well, Scott, i got to say, uh, you wouldn't have been the only one. If, if BYU had been 100% healthy going into this game, I would have most likely predicted a very close BYU win. 
But the way they're as banged up as they are defensively, I, I just don't see them holding up against Washington over the course of 60 minutes. You know, they may actually be ahead at halftime or it may be tied. I, I wouldn't be shocked at that at all. But I think over time, the the skill level of Washington combined with their health, combined with the ability to just roll guys in constantly, I think it's going to eventually show up uh, in the course of the 60 minutes. And so I have Washington winning by 10. But again, I, I think it's one of those things where you got to look to see how they come out third quarter. Can they reverse that trend of really having slow starts coming out of the gate in the second half? And then red zone, red zone, red zone, red zone. Because if you go back and look at that USC game that BYU played, they got a couple of picks early and were able to kind of keep that thing close. As long as Washington does what they need to do offensively and they don't turn the ball over, they need to get those touchdowns instead of field goals. If they can do that, then I, I think they win by you know 10, maybe even more going away. It's just when they struggle and they have to settle for those field goals, that's when they let guys kind of hang around, and that's where it could get really interesting. I think what's going to be interesting is, and I've said this before, this is a game that's going to tell a lot about this team. We're going to be able to see where the strengths are, where the weaknesses are. We're going to be able to see the resolve of this team, you know, with that one loss against Cal coming into a road game at altitude. The crowd's going to be kind of crazy. But, you know, I've been down here before in Provo at the stadium, and it's an open-air stadium. The sound just goes straight up. It's not one of those stadiums that's really, really loud. It's nowhere near as loud as Husky Stadium. So even though there's going to be a big crowd there and it'll be loud, I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to catch Washington by surprise. They've played in a lot louder places um, than this. Uh, So it should be interesting. And by the way, Chris, I talked to uh, our Utah guy yesterday and Mitch Harper, and he says they're still serving Tucanos up in the press box. Yeah, no, I heard that. And uh, something, something about Brazilian steakhouses in Provo, Utah. I don't know what they've, you know, what it is about that combination, but uh, it seems to work for them. And it, I remember it being pretty tasty. And you heard my comment on that. The guy in the press box who could care the least would be me. But anyways. Um, Anyways, uh, looking forward to the game. Looking forward to seeing what Washington has. Also looking forward to getting back on Sunday. So anyways, for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. 